Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens... War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. I gotta tell you, this book, The Great Reset and the War for the World, the left and the mainstream media are going to have to sit there and we've got to force them to respond to this book. This book is that important. Alex Jones cuts to the heart of the matter. If you compare the finest, and I'm telling you, you take MIT Technology Review, you take Science, take all these magazines and journals, add the electronic part of it, and, and you know, NPR, PBS, all of it, I'll take, I'll match up and I will go through and we'll do what Alex Jones put out there versus what your collective body has put out there. And if you're a sentient human being and just watching it, you say, well, God, Alex Jones was ahead of this. Not only that, he kind of explained it. They're just in this huge revolution against choice and free will and normal technological development and adoption of technology that empowers humanity. Instead, they want adoption of technology, forced adoption, world IDs, global social credit scores, carbon taxes that, that dominate and monitor every facet of our lives. You make the case of what the, not just the new world order is, but using this great reset to really take up their whole idea of control and authoritarianism. They have decided to trigger a controlled collapse and then bring in a new dark age to control the general public where they will be in their Elysium fields. There is no new technology coming in. They're blocking that. And so really they're just imploding things under the cloud pivot model so that they can get that control over us. Alex Jones cuts to the heart of the matter. He has presented tons of valid evidence and facts that I think have been really, really important to raising consciousness to what the sort of technocratic global elite really want to do. The true thing that you've done, which is stunning, if you look at the evidence of that and the facts, you are one of the great thinkers of this. That is very rare. You've got to go back almost to the revolutionary generation and see that. This book, The Great Reset and the War for the World, I'm telling you, everybody in America, the people that hate Alex Jones the most have to read this book. This is no beach read. You're not going to be flipping pages here. You're going to be having a pen out. And you're going to be underlying stuff. It, it's amazing. The Great Reset and the War for the World by Alex Jones. Available now at Amazon and InfoWarsStore.com. Okay, it's Saturday, 13 August, year of our Lord, 2022. And we're really excited about uh, doing a Saturday special. The entire two hours today is devoted to Alex Jones, his a big a blockbuster book, The Great Reset in the War for the World, to really deconstruct this book, to get to know the author. We're also going to have the filmmaker just made a story, a very controversial film about his life, Alex's War. We're going to have the publisher, Tony Lyons, 
uh, from Skyhorse Press, one of the most prominent publishers in the country that took the risk of doing the Bobby Kennedy book, as you know, that would, on Dr. Fauci and is the publisher of this. And if we can fit it all in, Joe Allen, our editor in chief of all things transhumanism to basically talk about uh, Alex Jones thinking of this. Alex, uh, first off, uh, you're one of the most uh, revered and reviled men on the planet. Uh, you're one of the most well-known uh, and controversial men on the planet. I don't think anybody's had a role, maybe even maybe not even President Trump. The last couple of weeks, your trial, uh, everything that's happened in Mar-a-Lago, the, uh, you know, now a global thing. You're, you're back on the show. Uh, you're at the forefront. You got a book coming out. You have a huge hit movie, a big best-selling, number one best-selling New York Times book about to hit. A, a trial that everybody in the world's focused on because they got the whole world's media down there. There's a small Texas courthouse. Just get our audience uh, up to date. How, how have the last couple of weeks been, and, and where's the head of Alex Jones right now? I, I try to stay focused on the Great Reset, the globalist takeover that we're witnessing of, of, of transhumanist fascism by a select group of corporations that are using authoritarianism uh, to consolidate control. I try to stay focused on that, but I'd be lying. I said I didn't get distracted by the show trial, one of three that's set, where I've already been found guilty by these judges. It's all coordinated. And then the judge instructed the jury that I was guilty. She wouldn't let us put on our financials that I don't have a lot of money. She put up a guy with no evidence uh, saying I had $260 million in the bank. So, uh, so, so, so if you did, if you did, if you were able to do your real financials, you wouldn't be worth a quarter. I think it's a quarter of a billion, over a quarter of a billion dollars. I think what the forensic accountant said, if you were able to put on the real financials, it wouldn't be that number. It would be, look, I don't measure myself by money, but I, I did have $10 million in the bank a year ago and I've spent almost all of it keeping on the air. We've been in the negative. I didn't think of 10 million as a lot. I saw it as an emergency reserve and I've expended it. Uh, with the bandwidth and the legal and, and all the things. And I'm not complaining. I'm definitely in the arena. Uh, but it is surreal to actually be in the most historic show trials ever. I saw the show trial they had for you where you couldn't cross-examine. And, and they now admit that at the end of the trial, but also on CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, everywhere, they said the model we've done with Alex Jones, uh, the London Telegraph talked about it, the BBC wrote about it, the model we've used on Alex Jones will now be the model to silence anyone that questions official narratives. So this is the next level of not just censoring people online, but misrepresenting what prominent populists and, and nationalists have said and, and then finding them guilty in default and then telling a jury, you just decide how guilty. And so they told them I had $260 million in the bank and their lawyers asked for $150 million, and then the jury's... Uh, now some of us spoken out to the media. They said, well, we thought he shouldn't be ruined, but we thought, you know, 48 million or whatever was reasonable, which is just totally insane. And so, again, that's how they totally manipulated and controlled this trial. But at the end of the day, it is a price to pay to be on the front lines against these people. And I'm very blessed and very honored that really my guests and my audience, Steve, over the years is the reason InfoWars has been so effective and so blessed to reach so many people. And so the globalists do track back, as you said when I was on the show last week, almost like InfoWars was the special forces at the front lines laying the tracks for the heavy equipment to yeah. come in behind us. And, and, and so that's how they see me. It's very surreal to be in that yeah. position. And, and, and it's also frightening because uh, I'm really concerned if they're able to silence me, they'll be able to silence everybody else. But I'm seeing a real rallying around InfoWars 
and, and, I'm, and I'm very blessed and thankful for that. I've certainly made mistakes, but they take those mistakes, magnify them, and then misrepresent what you said, and then try to destroy you. No, I, I continue to call you I Corps Commander because you're the Information War Commander. And if people remember, if people in uh, in the, in the power structure, the, the global investment banks, the World Economic Forum, the global corporatists, these governments, if they didn't know that Alex Jones was getting to the heart of it, there wouldn't have been global media down at some small Texas courthouse. Hey, they know exactly what the information is. They know what the truth is. And that's why they're coming after you. Just for our audience, because you said this the first time we had you on uh, when we talked about The Great Reset, this amazing book. I think it comes out uh, in a, on the 23rd, I think it is, uh, in a couple of weeks, but you can pre-order now on Amazon. Also, you can go and stream the movie Alex War, which we're going to have Alex Moyer on here. It's just an incredible film. And she didn't pull any punches. I mean, this is Alex Jones, what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a very, very powerful uh, documentary film and one that we strongly recommend uh, everybody see. Alex, I think what has caught people, a lot of people by surprise, maybe don't follow, don't go to InfoWars all the time, but don't even go to War Room, is that there are more of these trials coming up. Can you just tell us, and you said on the show the other day, hey, the, the one you saw is the least, there's worse coming. What do you mean by that, particularly for people that support you and support want to support InfoWars and you personally. When you say worse things coming, what does that mean? Well, Judge Maya Gamble was just elected two years ago, and she took over the case from a retiring judge who was bad but not half as bad as her. She is a Soros acolyte. She is a SJW Antifa supporter on her own Facebook, uh, and she is an extreme authoritarian. And so she has both the Texas trials, two different groups of Sandy Hook parents suing me, the next trial is set to start in Texas in a month. At the same time, it's set to start in Connecticut, not a two-week trial, but a eight-week trial, which is, again, a default where I'm already guilty, the judge says, because I didn't uh, supply any discovery, which is a total lie. And so that's going to be going on with wall-to-wall -wall coverage constantly trying to demonize InfoWars and myself to again, create the precedent they've already said to shut down. They've said your name. They've said Tucker Carlson's name. They've said Joe Rogan's name. Uh, there was another big Media Matters article uh, yesterday uh, that went down the list saying, we're going to get all these people next by suing them in select jurisdictions where they control the judges who are literally financed by George Soros. This is something that's really important to add. I would tell people 10 years ago, even though it was in the documents, that George Soros was financing and getting district attorneys and county attorneys and state attorneys elected. And he's got over a thousand of them total in the U.S., most big cities and, and many medium-sized cities and even small towns have his people in. in. In Travis County, where Austin is, he spent over a million dollars putting in our new district attorney that lets people go gangbangers a day after they shoot people on the streets. I mean, it's it's that bad. And so people think of it as just being district attorneys. Well, now everybody knows that Soros has spent $41 billion. Tucker Carlson did a big, you know, hour-long report on it a week ago. A lot of bravery for him. He'll come after you if you talk about it. $41 billion in a decade. Uh, divide that up, folks. That's billions a year. $41 billion. Put these people in. But that's only about... Half of the $41 billion is putting district attorneys in. The main push is judges in jurisdictions where judges are elected. And so imagine you, you live in a town where you've grown up and the judge is Antifa 
The judge is SJW. The judge is financed by Soros. And then you've got a bunch of Soros-connected Democratic Party law firms, the ones that sued Remington uh, into, into bankruptcy. And you have these people literally triangulating with the controlled corporate media and, and, and the judges and the lawyers. And then the, the rest of the story is they run your lawyers off the cases by sanctioning them and threatening them until I've had a bunch of lawyers quit. Even though they turn over all of the stuff they want, they still sanction them and say they haven't. I've been sanctioned in Austin $1.4 million in the last four years of this kangaroo trial, a million of it just in the last two months. She sanctioned me a million and change just a month ago. And normally you don't do that until after you failed your appeal at the, at the state Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court. So they're doing things to me that they've never done before. And again, I want to say it again, admitting now in the closing arguments, they pointed at me and they said, Take away his microphone, silence him, never let him build his platform again, take him out. And when we're done taking him out, we're going to take out all the disinformation. And again, that means the people that are telling the truth that are popular, libertarian, conservative, Christian, populist media has high 60s ratings across the country in polls. The corporate media has the lowest approval rating of even Congress, less than 10 percent on average. So you have a dead, dying corporate media that thinks it can roll out this new program of suing people in Soros-controlled Democrat jurisdictions where they, where they then rig the jury by allowing the jury questions, do you feel Alex Jones has ever been treated unfairly by the media? Do you think it's okay if uh, we give $100 million? And my lawyers try to say, no, you can't ask those questions. That's rigging the jury. And the judge said, we're asking those questions. So they rigged the jury with the questions. They'd already found me guilty. They already fined me over a million and a half dollars here, a half million dollars in Connecticut. It is just a feeding frenzy of raping the hell out of me. But I'm not a victim. If I was in prison or dead right now, it would be a good price to pay to take these folks on. I feel blessed that I'm the first they're coming after, because at least when you're the first they attack, it gets some attention. But after yeah. they deplatformed me four years ago and admitted then it was a model for everybody else, then we didn't hear about everybody else until it was Steve Bannon and President Trump. And, and Trump did speak out against it. You did speak out against it. Because you were smart enough to know that you know, we, we all hang together and hang separate. Plus, you know, you care about freedom of speech. But this this is the, the, the enemy's next big move of weaponized lawfare. Alex, hang on. We're taking a short commercial break. We're going to return with Alex Jones. Remember, we say there's no conspiracies but no coincidences. In the most important midterm since 1862, Alex Jones has two trials in September, one a couple weeks long in Texas, the other eight weeks long in Connecticut. Is that just by random chance? The Great Reset in the War for the World next with Alice Jones. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Go to MyPillow.com. Promo code WARROOM. We've got all the special sales up there, the slippers, the sheets, all of it. Support the armor-piercing show that is Mike Lindell. Just go to our square. Walmart threw him out, but WARROOM war would never do it. So just go to MyPillow.com. Promo code WARROOM. Look, in a, in a year of big books, you had the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. book on Fauci, over a million sales. You had Dr. Naomi Wolf with her book, The Body of Others, Peter Navarro in Trump Time, and my favorite, Lords of Easy Money by Christopher Lennon about the Federal Reserve. 
the really the biggest book of the year is about to hit. It's the Great Reset and the War for the World. It's take it really encapsulates twenty or thirty years of research, but a piercing intellect. You know, Alex, uh, I want to get to the trials in a second, but on the book, when we did the first interview with you. The thing that the left and the mainstream media melted down most about, and, and I think you're on for 40 or 45 minutes, was when I said, hey, you got to go back to the revolutionary generation. And what I said is that they're, they're very unique because it's kind of been bifurcated since then. The revolutionary generation really had a group of thinkers who were also men of action, right? Whether it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, or actually fighting the Revolutionary War. And I said, this is what Alex Jones is. Alex Jones is really a man of action, but he also happens to have a piercing intellect. You may not like that. He may come, you know, he may not have your political beliefs, but man, they locked down there. And one of the famous things, one of the best things you said about how you fight and thwart uh, the, the Great Reset and the globalists is, I think it's three things. Number one is to read constantly, to be a voracious reader. Number two is to sharpen your memory and make sure you remember. And number three is to be kind to others. You say that these are the things you see in the modern world where you actually think that the globalists are winning. Can you give us some details of that? What do you mean by that? A lot of people are waking up, but a lot of folks are basically going into a trance. They're, they're being lazy. They're not caring about others. And people are taught, well, only caring about yourself will get you ahead. But when people don't stand up for each other, then it's very easy to pick us off one by one. And so as this multinational group of anti-free market monopoly capitalists consolidate control, they're able to do it because they've been atomizing us and dividing us and conquering us and, and basically have allowed us to give up the social contract of what made America so great. And if you go back to the founding fathers, they didn't just have great intellects. They weren't just incredible scholars. They didn't just have courage. They were in another great turning. They happened to live in the flowering of 300 years of the Renaissance at a time that they were in a nation that was ready to be born. And all of the elements uh, were there for this nation to spring forth. And I think we're at that crossroads again, if people realize there is a war for the future, there is a war for the world. And the globalists call it the end of history where they will have total control over society and cement their authoritarian high-tech transhumanism. And so the way transhumanism gets control of us is it trains us to be uh, negligent of our responsibilities, to be lazy and not care about others, not care about the unborn, not care about old people, and to go along with Bill Gates saying, hey, if we kill an old lady and don't give her medical care, we can hire 10 teachers. That idea of a cannibalistic society versus a renaissance society is what I was trying to get at in the book and, and different mindsets of the future. Do we go back to the pagan system where uh, the young uh, sacrifice for the old? Or do we go back to what came after that, the Christian and, and Judaic Christian system, where the old sacrifice uh, for the young instead of the young sacrificing for the old. And it really just comes back to this neo-paganism that is globalism. Let, let me, I want to read one of the definitions from the book that I find striking. This from the book, a globalist, this is your definition. A globalist is a member of the global corporate combine that is attempting to establish an authoritarian world government whose eventual aim of the world government is to be able to carry out a transhumanist revolution that results in the death of the vast majority of the world population. And out of that cataclysm, a new 
super race. So when people sit there and go, hey, this guy is kind of a wild man, throws his things out. Walk me through your data sets and your evidence that backs up what a globalist is. Well, the reason I call him globalist is when I was reading into this in the 90s, when I was right out of high school, starting to take some local college courses, I was reading some Victor Brzezinski's books. I was reading Carol Quigley's books. And then I was reading some of the more modern books that were quoting the UN saying, we're creating a globalist system, not a global system, not a man of the world, citizen of the world where you can travel anywhere, do anything. That's all great. When nations individually create those networks independently through grassroots action, not through a centralized controlled system. And so a globalist is someone that believes in transhumanism, that believes in depopulation, that believes that the majority of the public are worthless, and they want to use their corporate power to basically get control of humanity uh, and get control of the medical system and the educational system and the banking system to bring in a social credit score to be able to social engineer at a level never before seen. And my film Endgame, Blueprint for Global Enslavement, is still free online. People can go find it. They censored a lot of places. <laughs> it had 80-something million views on Google Video the first year it came out until they got rid of Google Video. It had another 20 million views on a YouTube channel until they took that down. But you can still find it on YouTube, but they do suppress it. In-game Blueprint for Global Enslavement. And, and if you watch that two-and-a-half-hour film, it's much like the first few chapters of the book. It shows quotes. It shows clips. It shows who they are. And so to understand <coughs> excuse me, who a globalist is, and i got a few minutes, it goes back to Plato, as I said last week on the show or two weeks ago, who said there are too many people we need to depopulate. So that idea kind of gets created by Plato, uh, and, and then it gets passed on to Sir Francis uh, Galton and people like Malthus in England who thought there were too many people and thought that they should get rid of the poor. And so the, the British royal family and some of the big money powers began to finance social systems, social sciences to learn how to get control of the population. They began to study the brain. They developed the theory of psychology, and they then developed, again, the modern theory of eugenics. And Cecil Rhodes, who ran the British Empire, wrote books about this, and so did one of their big thinkers, H.G. Uh, Wells, who, who wrote the book The New World Order, which was nonfiction, describing a scientific dictatorship of the future that would control breeding, that would control the caste you were in, that would control whether you lived or not. Uh, and, and they would quote the Spartans, who if a baby was deformed, would throw it off a cliff. And they said, we're going to take that to the next level. And so out of that 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 root system and that trunk of, of British-funded eugenics, you get the American eugenics movement, you get the European eugenics movement, the Japanese, the Mexican movement, a lot of movements. It was the dominant force by the mid-30s. Hitler and the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, funded by the Cold Springs Harbor Rockefeller Foundation, this is all on record, in IBM and the Holocaust, I think it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book last time I checked, that exposed how Hitler was like just a branch of this group, but he only targeted certain groups, whereas the eugenicists were going to target what they saw as the subhuman in, in every group. And then after World War II, Hitler gives eugenics a bad name. So Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, who headed up the United Nations UNESCO program, who'd been the head of the World Eugenics Society, said in the late 40s, in papers that are public, we're going to change our name from the World Population Control Group and Eugenics Group to the Transhumanist Group. And, 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 and so that's why if you read Brave New World, 
written in 32 that's fiction, it looks like what's happening now because Julian Huxley and Aldous Huxley came out of the school of Francis Dalton, were actually directed directly related to him in a, a public elite breeding program that started in the 1850s between the Huxleys, the Wedgwoods, the Galtons, the Blairs, uh, and some of the others. And, and, and George Arwell, Eric Blair, was actually related to these guys as well. Uh, so they had at least four generations of inbreeding to try to create the Superman or the Ubermenschen that Hitler was obsessed with. And in most cases, it created insane people and folks with very serious deformities and uh, mental retardation. But in a few cases, it did create 200 IQ super geniuses. And so that's the group then that they developed with this secret breeding program that was later made public uh, that created much of the modern world. They pioneered the discovery of DNA. They pioneered the discovery of the development of computers. Uh, IBM and Thomas Watson created computers for race mixing studies for their eugenic studies they were doing. That's all on record. And, and so this is a scientific mad scientist group that has sustained for the public that works in 50 and 100 year plans who are in a war for the future, a war for the world, who are stealing the future and stealing our destinies. If we don't wake up to the fact that they've already run away with the ball with the horrible nightmare depopulation system where they are bad scientist dictators ruling over us as if we're just guinea pigs. We've got about a minute. You keep talking about the Great Awakening, and, and you've also said people are in a trance or almost like a, a sleep. How has the general population, how, how have they got them in a trance-like state where they, they focus on frivolity and really the bread and circuses, but not actually the reality of their own lives? We've got about a minute. Give us, give us your thoughts on that. Well, I hope we can talk about it more after the break, because this is the key. If you look at major studies, and I know you read a lot, you'll know this, but the listeners should look into it. Most people now are, are two or three times more susceptible uh, to being suggestible than people were, say, in 1960. And so the average person is very susceptible. They can't differentiate subconsciously between fiction and nonfiction. And because there's so many wild events in fiction, their brain sees horrific stuff as non-threatening because they've seen so many actions of violence and so much propaganda and sex and porn that then they can't differentiate that from the real world. So when a real threat comes, they can't recognize it because their mind has basically been desensitized, but also brainwaves, especially in the Western world, the more screen time, the more TV time, the more non-interactive screen time, the screen time is interactive is shown is actually good, but, it, but, 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 but one way suspended disbelief Television and, and, and media consumption puts you into an almost dreamlike uh, brainwave where you're daydreaming and, and, and extremely hypnotizable. Hang on one second. Short commercial break. Return with Alex Jones about the book, The Great Reset. We're also going to bring in the filmmaker of the blockbuster documentary, Alex's War. Alex Moyer, next in the world. I'm Alex Jones. The story you're about to see is true. This is reality. Truth is stranger than fiction. I'm the most banned, most demonized media person in the world. Alex Jones is a fake. And he's a performance artist. I'm perceived as a clown, a nut, a maniac. On his website, InfoWars, he touts paranoia porn. The sickest, most offensive theories. Alex Jones claims that 9-11 and the Oklahoma City bombings were inside jobs. Don't you stand for America, sir? He said me and Hillary are demons. <laughs> Ain't that something? You'll burn in hell! 
I met him back in 1990s. I knew right away he was going to be a star. How's my hair look? I saw all these conspiracy terrorists that were talking about the New World Order. You know, that's what I'll do. Get in there, Alex. Death the New World Order. It was that attack on humanity that I saw early on that I really wanted to wage war on. You're lying to the public. It's disgusting. Once you taste that, there's no one back. Everything's a war. That's the way the universe works, and everything is propaganda. I don't trust Donald Trump, but I agree with probably 95% of what Donald Trump says. Your reputation's amazing. I will not let you down. That's what the media loves off. Alex Jones said the Sandy Hook shooting, which claimed the lives of 20 children, was fake. I try to tell the truth, and sometimes I'm wrong. Did the New York Times get in trouble? for consciously lying about WMDs that then led to a war, killed tens of thousands in conflict? No. The attempts to platform us have failed. They had the CIA, the FBI following me around. Now we got to destroy Alex Jones. We're not playing games here. This is such a historic moment together. USA! It's all just insane. Okay, let's put me in prison for questioning, okay? Even though that's my right. In fact, let's execute Alex Jones. Let's, let's put me in front of a firing squad, pull the trigger. I have a sick feeling, actually, because I know what comes next. Okay, welcome back. You're in War Room. It's a Saturday special we're doing today for the whole two hours. We have Alex Jones with us. Uh, now I want to bring in Alex Sawyer, a brilliant uh, filmmaker. You know, it's very rare in life, uh, Brother Jones. You have a huge trial that draws global attention. You have a huge book that's going to come out really in the next couple of weeks that really summarizes your thinking over your lifetime as a uh, as a provocateur and as a cutting edge thinker and then to have a blockbuster film on top of it i want everybody to make sure we go we're going to put up all the sites that you can get this film you have to see it uh, even if you want to spit on the floor in fact particularly if you want to spit on the floor at the sound of alex jones name this is the film you want to see. Alex Sawyer, knowing how how involved it is in filmmaking, how you actually have to go in and just dedicate your entire being, why at this time in the country's history, in the world history, would you choose Alex Jones to be a subject, ma'am? Um, well, I, also, hi, Alex. Um, uh, well, it seems like kind of a no-brainer to me with everything that's going on in the world. And of course, Alex manages to make headlines just about every week and um, all of the mainstream publications. And there seems to be an unspoken rule about who's allowed to talk about Alex Jones and what they're allowed to say about Alex Jones. And I just thought maybe it was about time that somebody put Alex within his context and also start talking about the story arc of Alex Jones and how we got to this place. And, you know, he's, he's kind of, I, he's sort of a mascot for a lot of the things that we see sort of culminating right now in the culture wars in America. But isn't that the hit on it? You know, Donald Trump makes news every day, but Donald Trump's a terrible guy. Alex Jones makes news. He's a terrible guy. Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson. All they do is just yell right. fire in the theater. They just yell fire in the theater. So it's easy for those guys. And a, a serious filmmaker like you comes along and all you do is give your being and your purpose and your platform to take, a, a you know, what they would say is a charlatan, which they say is not just a charlatan, but a bad guy in a charlatan. And you actually now take him up because you this is a very serious movie. You've actually taken him up a notch. What, what do you say about the blue check Twitter that says that about you as a filmmaker? I don't think about those people at all. I don't see those people as being on the vanguard of anything interesting that's happening culturally. 
if anything, I think that, um, you know, the institutions of Hollywood and the media are have become, you know, stagnant at best and sort of, you know, rotten at worst. So I'm interested more in making the kind of films that inspired me to start making films in the first place, films from the 70s, observational cinema, films about complicated topics and larger than life stories. And um, I don't need permission from Hollywood or corporations to make that kind of work. I've been making my own work for years and years, and I'm grateful that uh, people are taking attention and that this film is doing well. But Um, I care more about just having purpose in my life and telling important stories. And this is an important story. So why is it an important story in world history today? Right. With what you have going on in the world economically, geopolitically, culturally here in the United States every day, some mainstream, you know, the Atlantic magazine or the New York Times Sunday magazines talk about we're heading to civil war because you have all these xenophobic nativist white Christian nationalists. Or they're driving the country to their ruin. What is the importance of this film now? And as a filmmaker, what did you learn in the making of it? Um, I think that's an important observation. Uh, the truth is that a lot of America, and some may argue a majority of Americans have been sort of demonized in the media. Um, and the people on the left right now are sort of using fear as the main driving force for their platform. And they're telling you that people all over middle America are, you know, white supremacists or um, xenophobic or, you know, there's a lot of people that are being mischaracterized. And I didn't go into making this film thinking that I was going to unearth anything, you know, anything really revelatory about that. But that's what ended up happening is that the movie really isn't just about Alex. It's a, it, it really does shine a light on the popul- populist movement in America. And um, you don't have to necessarily consider yourself to be a populist or even agree with populism. But you can see plainly that um, it has been mischaracterized, especially in terms of uh, of demographics. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm really proud of that this movie puts on display. When you when you watch the film, and particularly given the intensity of it, and I recommend strongly everybody see this film, to both supporters of Alex Jones and the populist nationalist right, but more importantly, your friends and colleagues that are centrist or really low-information voters, it's quite revelatory. One of the things, do you believe that, I don't want to say sympathetic, but in coming through this at the end, do you think the movie's empathetic about, because I, I see when I see it, you see a guy that's a fighter that's never going to back down. He's got a lot of flaws like everybody in the world, right? And and some of these flaws are, are, are highlighted given the sense that he's a world historical figure. But do you think the film, did you set out to make an empathetic film? Because it, it at the end, and this is why I think Blue Check Twitter hates it, is that you didn't go out to absolutely destroy him and just show everything negative. You showed the whole, you showed all of it. And in showing all of it, you kind of have some empathy for Alex Jones and his cause and his mission at the end of it. Is that what you intended to do? Well, I didn't know Alex personally going into the film. I knew enough about him to be interested in him for a long time and want to make a film about him just because I think he's a really um, charismatic, um, iconoclastic person. And that's, you know, I'm, I've always been fascinated by those kinds of Americans. Um, I don't believe in uh, demonizing 
uh, my subjects. Uh, and I don't think it would take a genius to realize that Alex, if you just spend any time actually observing him in an honest way, that he's, he's not a mean spirited person. He is, uh, actually a kind of passionate and open hearted person. And so I always knew that that would shine through, but I didn't really have any particular agenda. Um, when I set out to make the film, I just, um, I just made the film that I got. I went, I shot what I shot. And I do think that there is a redemption arc to the story. Um, but I think that there's a redemption arc, um, possible in everybody's life, no matter what character it is. But I, um, I definitely didn't set out to there. There was never a moment where I wanted to make another, you know, CNN take or an HBO take on Alex Jones. You, you know, you can go and watch that kind of thing about him anywhere. I did want to make something that was a more dimensional, nuanced character study. And um, I still think that even for people that don't like him or disagree with him, that they can go and see the film and they can come away with their biases intact if they so choose. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I, I just wanted to show him for what he's really like. Let me, let me, I think it reveals that. And we talk about it. The, the structure of this is very much along the lines of Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Talk to us about what is the redemption arc of Alex Jones in your film? Uh, well, the film also sort of takes on a life of its own, right? So it, it's um, it, there is there is some artistic license. And uh, I just feel that no matter what any perception is of, of what Alex has done or what he said, or, um, that he ultimately is somebody who is fighting for good in his life and that everybody deserves to recover from you, their you, missteps. You, 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 did you, you came to that conclusion in the making of the film or did you go in with that as a, a precept. Did you go in as a filmmaker, open-minded, and you came to that conclusion after studying him, being with him, and studying his work? Well, as a documentary filmmaker, I and since I don't work for a big studio, and since I kind of call all the own, all my own shots on my films, I don't go in with preconceived notions about what my film is going to be like, and I don't even necessarily. I and since I edit my own films. I go in, I shoot what I shoot, and I let the story sort of reveal itself. And this was the story that revealed itself to me. But no, I didn't have any preconceived notions about how I was going to like put a bow on it at the end. Um, this is just what I felt was the spiritual direction that the, the film needed to take at the end. And so I did it. But for people out there, that's a real fam filmmaker. Someone that not only directs, but also shoots and edits. That's the auteur. Let's play cut one. <laughs> Let's play, let's play cut one, the intro uh, cut. Hello, I'm Alex Jones, and I'm a radio and television host based in Austin, Texas. And for many years, I've been exposing the criminal activities of the global elite, also known as the New World Order. My research has covered such topics as the militarization of police, the attack on America's national sovereignty, the destruction of private property rights, the family. All of these institutions must be destroyed before the establishment can create their ultimate dream, a one-world government absolutely ruled by despotic, 
criminals hell-bent on micromanaging our lives. The story you're about to see is true. All of it is verifiable and documented. From the news articles to the actual first time to be ever seen video from inside. So I don't want you to just chuck it off as wild conspiracy theories. This is reality. Truth is stranger than fiction. Incredibly powerful. Alex Sawyer, we're going to go to break. We'd ask you to stay with us through the break with Alex Jones. Real quickly, how long from start to finish did it take you to make this film? Uh, it took about a year and a half and then about six months of sort of preparation and maybe trying to convince Alex that he should be a part of the film. Two years of this. Okay, we're going to take a short commercial break. We're going to turn with Alex Jones and the great filmmaker Alex Soria. She's the uh, auteur in back of Alex's War. Alex Jones has got a massive new book coming out, The Great Reset and the War for the World, that we can pre-order on Amazon right now. Short break. Be back in the warm in a moment. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Go to MyPillow.com. Promo code WARROOM. We've got all the special sales up there, the slippers, the sheets, all of it. Support the armor-piercing shell that is Mike Lindell. Just go to our square. Walmart threw him out, but War, War Room would never do it. So just go to MyPillow.com. Promo code WARROOM. Look, in a, in a year of big books, you had the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. book on Fauci, over a million sales. You had Dr. Naomi Wolf. With her book, The Body of Others, Peter Navarro in Trump Time, and my favorite, Lords of Easy Money by Christopher Lennon about the Federal Reserve. The really the biggest book of the year is about to hit. It's the Great Reset and the War for the World. It's take it really encapsulates twenty or thirty years of research, but a piercing intellect. You know, Alex, uh, I want to get to the trials in a second, but on the book, when we did the first interview with you. The thing that the left and the mainstream media melted down most about, and, and I think you're on for 40 or 45 minutes, was when I said, hey, you got to go back to the revolutionary generation. And what I said is that they're, they're very unique because it's kind of been bifurcated since then. The revolutionary generation really had a group of thinkers who were also men of action, right? Whether it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, or actually fighting the Revolutionary War. And I said, this is what Alex Jones is. Alex Jones is really a man of action, but he also happens to have a piercing intellect. You may not like that. He may come, you know, he may not have your political beliefs, but man, they locked down there. And one of the famous things, one of the best things you said about how you fight and thwart uh, the, the Great Reset and the globalists is, I think it's three things. Number one is to read constantly, to be a voracious reader. Number two is to sharpen your memory and make sure you remember. And number three is to be kind to others. You say that these are the things you see in the modern world where you actually think that the globalists are winning. Can you give us some details of that? What do you mean by that? A lot of people are waking up, but a lot of folks are basically going into a trance. They're, they're being lazy. They're not caring about others. And people are taught, well, only caring about yourself will get you ahead. But when people don't stand up for each other, then it's very easy to pick us off one by one. And so as this multinational group of anti-free market monopoly capitalists consolidate control, 
they're able to do it because they've been atomizing us and dividing us and conquering us and, and basically have allowed us to give up the social contract of what made America so great. And if you go back to the founding fathers, they didn't just have great intellects. They weren't just incredible scholars. They didn't just have courage. They were in another great turning. They happened to live in the flowering of 300 years of the Renaissance at a time that they were in a nation that was ready to be born. And all of the elements uh, were there for this nation to spring forth. And I think we're at that crossroads again, if people realize there is a war for the future, there is a war for the world. And the globalists call it the end of history, where they will have total control over society and submit their authoritarian, high-tech transhumanism. And so the way transhumanism gets control of us is it trains us to be uh, negligent of our responsibilities, to be lazy and not care about others, not care about the unborn, not care about old people, and to go along with Bill Gates saying, hey, if we kill an old lady and don't give her medical care, we can hire 10 teachers. That idea of a cannibalistic society versus a renaissance society is what I was trying to get at in the book and, and different mindsets of the future. Do we go back to the pagan system where uh, the young uh, sacrifice for the old? Or do we go back to what came after that, the Christian and, and Judaic Christian system, where the old sacrifice uh, for the young instead of the young sacrificing for the old? And it really just comes back to this neo-paganism that is globalism. Let, let me, I want to read one of the definitions from the book that I find striking. This from the book, a globalist, this is your definition. A globalist is a member of the global corporate combine that is attempting to establish an authoritarian world government whose eventual aim of the world government is to be able to carry out a transhumanist revolution that results in the death of the vast majority of the world population. And out of that cataclysm, a new super race. So when people sit there and go, hey, this guy is kind of a wild man, throws his things out. Walk me through your data sets and your evidence that backs up what a globalist is. Well, the reason I call him globalist is when I was reading into this in the 90s, when I was right out of high school, started to take some local college courses, I was reading some Victor Brzezinski's books. I was reading Carol Quigley's books. And then I was reading some of the more modern books that were quoting the UN saying, we're creating a globalist system, not a global system, not a man of the world, citizen of the world where you can travel anywhere, do anything. That's all great. When nations individually create those networks independently through grassroots action, not through a centralized controlled system. And so a globalist is someone that believes in transhumanism, that believes in depopulation, that believes that the majority of the public are worthless, and they want to use their corporate power to basically get control of humanity uh, and get control of the medical system and the educational system and the banking system to bring in a social credit score to be able to social engineer at a level never before seen. And my film Endgame, Blueprint for Global Enslavement, is still free online. People can go find it. They censored a lot of places. <laughs> it had 80-something million views on Google Video the first year it came out until they got rid of Google Video. It had another 20 million views on a YouTube channel until they took that down. But you can still find it on YouTube, but they do suppress it. In-game Blueprint for Global Enslavement. And, and if you watch that two-and-a-half-hour film, it's much like the first few chapters of the book. It shows quotes. It shows clips. It shows who they are. And so to understand <coughs> excuse me, who the globalist is, and i got a few minutes, it goes back to Plato, as I said last week on the show or two weeks ago, who said, there are too many people, we need to depopulate. So that idea kind of gets created by Plato, 
Uh, and, and then it gets passed on to Sir Francis uh, Galton and people like Malthus in England who thought there were too many people and thought that they should get rid of the poor. And so the, the British royal family and some of the big money powers began to finance social systems, social sciences to learn how to get control of the population. They began to study the brain. They developed the theory of psychology. And they then developed, again, the modern theory of eugenics. And Cecil Rhodes, who ran the British Empire, wrote books about this. And so did one of their big thinkers, H.G. Uh, Wells, who, who wrote the book, The New World Order, which was nonfiction, describing a scientific dictatorship of the future that would control breeding, that would control the caste you were in, that would control whether you lived or not. Uh, and, and they would quote the Spartans, who if a baby was deformed, would throw it off a cliff. And they said, we're going to take that to the next level. And so out of that 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 root system and that trunk of, of British-funded eugenics, you get the American eugenics movement, you get the European eugenics movement, the Japanese, the Mexican movement, a lot of movements. It was the dominant force by the mid-30s. Hitler and the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, funded by the Cold Springs Harbor Rockefeller Foundation, this is all on record, in IBM and the Holocaust, I think it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book last time I checked, that exposed how Hitler was like just a branch of this group, but he only targeted certain groups, whereas the eugenicists were going to target what they saw as the subhuman in, in every group. And then after World War II, Hitler gives eugenics a bad name. So Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, who headed up the United Nations UNESCO program, who'd been the head of the World Eugenics Society, said in the late 40s, in papers that are public, we're going to change our name from the World Population Control Group and Eugenics Group to the Transhumanist Group. And 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 and, and so that's why if you read Brave New World, written in 32, that's fiction, it looks like what's happening now because Julian Huxley and Aldous Huxley came out of the school of Francis Galton, were actually directed directly related to him in a, a public elite breeding program that started in the 1850s between the Huxleys, the Wedgwoods, the Galtons, the Blairs, uh, and some of the others. And, and, and George Arwell, Eric Blair, was actually related to these guys as well. Uh, so they had at least four generations of inbreeding to try to create the Superman or the Ubermenschen that Hitler was obsessed with. And in most cases, it created insane people and folks with very serious deformities and uh, mental retardation. But in a few cases, it did create 200 IQ super geniuses. And so that's the group then that they developed with a secret breeding program that was later made public uh, that created much of the modern world. They pioneered the discovery of DNA. They pioneered the discovery of the development of computers. Uh, IBM and Thomas Watson created computers for race mixing studies for their eugenic studies they were doing. That's all on record. And, and so this is a scientific mad scientist group that has sustained for the public that works in 50 and 100 year plans who are in a war for the future, a war for the world, who are stealing the future and stealing our destinies if we don't wake up to the fact that they've already run away with the ball with the horrible nightmare depopulation system where they are bad scientist dictators ruling over us as if we're just guinea pigs. We've got about a minute. You keep talking about the Great Awakening, and, and you've also said people are in a trance or almost like a, a sleep. How has the general population, how, how have they got them in a trance-like state where they, they focus on frivolity and really the bread and circuses, but not actually the reality of their own lives? We've got about a minute. Give us, give us your thoughts on that. Well, I hope we can talk about it more after the break because this is the key. 
if you look at major studies, and I know you read a lot, you'll know this, but the listeners should look it into it. Most people now are, are two or three times more susceptible uh, to being suggestible than people were, say, in 1960. And so the average person is very susceptible. They can't differentiate subconsciously between fiction and nonfiction. And because there's so many wild events in fiction, their brain sees horrific stuff as non-threatening because they've seen so many actions of violence and so much propaganda and sex and porn that then they can't differentiate that from the real world. So when a real threat comes, they can't recognize it because their mind has basically been desensitized. But also brainwaves, especially in the Western world, the more screen time, the more TV time, the more non-interactive screen time, the screen time is interactive is shown is actually good. But it, but 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 one way suspended disbelief, television and, and, and media consumption puts you into an almost dreamlike uh, brainwave where you're daydreaming and, and, and extremely hypnotizable. Hang on one second. Short commercial break. We'll turn with Alex Jones about the book, The Great Reset. We're also going to bring in the filmmaker of the blockbuster documentary, Alex's War. Alex Moyer, next in the world. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint 
to put Trump back in the White House in 2024 by taking back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us.